Good morning, everyone. My name is Jordan, um, and a special welcome if you're vis visiting us this morning. Um, we're doing a series in the Psalms over summer, the summer of Psalms, uh, Pete has called it. Um, and I find that during summertime with the extra public holidays and everyone's got time off, it's a great time to do some baking. Um, so I did, uh, whether you believe me, hopefully you believe me, that I did some baking over summertime. And I've got two cookies here. Um, one of them, I made just a straight, great recipe, you know, all the ingredients there. The other one, I replaced the sugar with salt. Um, and so I'm looking for some two volunteers. <laughs> yeah, do you want to come down the front? And one more? Yep, up the back, come down, come down, jump up on stage here for me. All right, now I want you to take a cookie. Choose wisely. Ooh. All right, now at one at a time, I want you to take a bite and taste it. All right, who wants to go first? You want to go first? All right, give it a go. How does it taste? Good. Tastes good. Uh oh. Uh oh. All right, give it a go. How does it taste? It tastes fine. Tastes fine. It's also good. Well done. You guys can grab a seat. Um, you guys can eat those cookies. Um, I bought them from Woolworths. They're both the same cookie. <laughs> Who am I trying to kid? I, I don't have time to bake. Um, Probably wouldn't end very well if I did bake. Um, but you need to taste and see to see if it's going to be good. You can't just look at the cookie and go, oh, well, maybe it's going to be salty or maybe it's going to be sweet. I don't know. They had to taste it and see. And in Psalm 34, which is the psalm we'll be looking at this morning, in verse 8, it says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. God's goodness is something that we need to experience first to believe. We can't stand on the sidelines and say, nope, God is not good. We need to experience it firsthand to know God's goodness. And the goodness of God is something that is so foundational to our relationship with Him. If we don't trust that God is good... We will never draw close to him, especially in times of trouble, especially in times of suffering. We won't draw close to him. So in all honestly, can you reflect on yourself and your relationship with God? Can you say, yes, I know that God is good. David wrote Psalm 34, uh, which if you've got your Bibles open, please uh, stay to Psalm, Psalm 34. And we'll be staying in it a fair bit, flicking around in it. Um, David wrote Psalm 34, fleeing for, from his life uh, from Saul. He was experiencing a lot of trouble, a lot of suffering. But he was still able to write, taste and see that the Lord is good. 
We can read the background to this psalm in 1 Samuel 21, 10 to 15. Uh, we won't read it out, but what's going on is that David is running from Saul, who was out to kill him, and David sought refuge in a Philistine city. But some of the Philistine king's servants recognized him. And so David, fearing what the king would do to him when taken before the king, pretended to be insane. He started riding on the doorposts and drooling. So the king replies, it's quite comical, am I so short of madmen that you have to bring this fellow here to carry on like this in front of me? And so he just lets David leave. So David leaves the Philistine city unharmed. And as a result of that, it is believed that he wrote this psalm. There is much we could say about Psalm 34. But I just want to focus on four things that I think are key to being able to say and believe that God is good even in times of trouble. The first is that God saves. The second, that God is close. The four, the third, we must fear God. And the fourth, we must seek God. So God saves. There are five, uh, six different verses that talk about uh, God saving David. In verse 4, I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Verse 6, this poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. Verse 7, the angels of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Verse 17, when the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. Verse 18, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Verse 19, many of the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. David is testifying to all the ways he's experienced God delivering him and saving him from bad situations. Verses 6 and 17 tell us that he was delivered from troubles. Literally, that's distress. Uh, what troubles are you facing at the moment? What is causing you distress in your life? Know that God can save you from stress. Verse 4 so it tells us that David was delivered from his fears, and that literal word is a terror. You know, what keeps you up at night? What worries you? What causes you anxiety? God can save you from your fears. Verse 7 talks about the angels of the Lord encamping around so being surrounded by God's heavenly warriors, gee, that would make me feel pretty safe um, if I was surrounded by God's heavenly warriors. What is making you feel unsafe? Because God can protect you. Verse 18 and 19 talks about being delivered from suffering. 
delivered from the crushing weight of pain and affliction. Are you facing pain, grief or heartache? God can save you from your suffering. You see that our God is a God who saves. From everything, from being what seems small and unimportant to the large and significant, God saves. From the little stresses in life to the heaviest burdens, God saves. But when we're expecting God to save and intervene in a situation and he doesn't, can really wear us down. Like ocean waves battering against the shoreline, wave after wave after wave, it eventually erodes the hope that we once had. We can no longer find ourselves convinced that God will save us. No longer convinced that God will deliver us. No longer convinced that God is good. So why do we not always experience God's deliverance? Is he not powerful enough? Is God just indifferent to our suffering? Does he not really care anymore? You know, uh, I like to spend a lot of time on the couch. Um, And you know when you drop something behind the couch and you decide, oh, I just want to try and reach behind and get it. Um, And then your arm is like, just not long enough. And then you have to decide, is this thing worth getting up off the couch and reaching underneath for, or am I just going to leave it there? Um, It really depends on how important whatever it is you dropped. Uh, This happens to me pretty often. Um, Do you get up and reach underneath or just leave it there? We can't, we either can't do it, we're too lazy to do it, we don't care enough to do it. Isaiah 59.1 says, Surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, nor his ear too dull to hear. God is not like us. His arm is not too short to reach. He can save. He will and has gone to every length to save. He cares more about us than we know and than we realize. And he demonstrated that by sending Jesus to the cross for us. So we're asking the wrong question. The question cannot be, will God save me from my trouble? The question we must ask is, when will God save me? This Christmas, Clyde and I uh, did a fair amount of our Christmas shopping online. And the beauty of the World Wide Web is that, just that, it's worldwide. Um, And so I brought some gifts from an unknown country in Asia for under one Aussie dollar, with included free shipping. I don't understand how that's possible. I don't understand how they can make any money from that. Uh, But when I purchased this, I am genuinely thinking, will this even arrive? Who knows? Once I ordered a package and it arrived six months after it was shipped, I think literally it was shipped 
Uh, it came on a boat. That's why it took so long. Countless times, things have just never arrived. But a few months ago, I purchased a new mobile phone. I made sure it was from a reputable store. I bought things from them before. I got my Australia Post tracking number. I got my confirmation email and the estimated arrival time. And it was not a matter of if it will arrive, but it was a matter of when. Is it going to be delivered Tuesday or Wednesday? I'm not sure, but it's definitely coming. And it did come. In the same way, God will deliver his people. This is not a matter of if he will, but a matter of when. And when he delivers will be in his good and sovereign timing. 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that anyone should perish, but that all should reach repentance. God will not be slow to save us. We don't always experience deliverance straight away. But it's for the sake of the world that they would turn from a sin and have relationship with God. God will save his people. And this is our greatest source of hope in times of trouble, in times of fear, in times of danger or suffering. That God promises to deliver his people. It could be tomorrow. It also could be in eternity. But he will save us. God is good because he will save. That's the first point. The second thing I noticed in this psalm was the closeness of God to David. God is near to his people. God is close to us in our times of trouble, in our times of fear, in our times of danger and suffering. God is close. Verse 15, Psalm 34, says, The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and his ears toward their cry. Almost like a parent ready to comfort their baby when they cry. God is near to us, eager to comfort us. Verse 18 says, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. God sees our sufferings and hears our prayers. God is not blind to it. He's not indifferent to it either. He's near to us, ready to comfort. Psalm 23, 4 says, Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. God is not a distant God. He's not off in the heavens looking down on us. He's right next to us. He is with us in our times of trouble. What is your sense of God in hard times? Does he feel near to you? Do you know his comfort well? like a soothing balm, or is he distant? 
and his comfort just seems like a dream. What's your sense of God in times of trouble? I really love going to the beach. There is nothing that cleans your sinuses better than getting dunked by a wave of salty water. I really enjoy that. Um, A few years ago, I went for a swim at Gunnamatta Beach, uh, which is known for its rough waves. It was a rough day. The wind was blowing a gale, but my friends and I thought uh, we would try and go and body surf some waves. We swam out, and immediately we got caught in a rip. And our friends that were sitting on the shore were no longer in front of us, but they were just way down the coastline. It took us a while. I was with some surf lifesavers, so I wasn't worried. It took us a while, but eventually we got back to shore um, and had to walk all the way back up to where we originally got in. It wasn't my friends on the shore that had moved. It was me. In the water, in the midst of the waves, I drifted away. When we feel like God is distant, it's not because he's moved away. It's because we've drifted. And maybe this morning, you've found yourself drifted away from God. Because of life's troubles. Because of life's sufferings and pains and griefs. We've drifted away. But in the midst of that, Know that God is near and he will deliver you from your troubles, your fears, your dangers and sufferings. The third thing I noticed in Psalm 34 was the repeated reminder to fear God. Verse 7, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Verse 9, Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. Verse 11, Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Why do we need to fear God? Well, there's certain benefits to it. Verse 7 says that God protects those that fear him. Verse 9 says that God provides for those that fear him. Verse 12 tells us that the fear of the Lord is the way to have a good life. Proverbs 1.7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. And verse 11 tells us that the fear of the Lord is something that we can learn. God's deliverance and his closeness must drive us to fear God. And this fear is different fear to the fear that the Bible will have translated in verse 4. This is a different Hebrew word. Um, Andrew Brown isn't here to correct me of how to pronounce this Hebrew word, so I'll give it a go. Um, Yare uh, is a fear that 
is awe and reverence of God. To be afraid of God, of his power and his might, his awesomeness. And to recognize just how small we are in contrast to God's greatness. C.S. Lewis wrote The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe. You might be familiar with the book or the movie. uh, Where four siblings step through a magic wardrobe into a new world called Narnia. There, a young girl called Susan is having a conversation uh, with Mr. Beaver, which is rather strange. It's a person-sized talking beaver. Anyway, um, Susan, new to the land of Narnia, is asking some questions about the world. Mr. Beaver tells Susan that Aslan, the ruler of Narnia, is a great lion. And Susan is shocked because she assumed that Aslan would just be a human. Susan then tells Mr. Beaver, I feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Is he safe? She asks. To which Mr. Beaver replies, safe? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good and he's the king. I think Lewis here captures so well what it is to fear the Lord. Is he safe? No. But he is good and he's the king. We often forget that our God is also the God who sent the flood, sent the ten plagues in Egypt, struck down Ananias and Sapphira after lying to the apostles. Is God safe? If we're reading the same Bible, I don't think so. But he is good. And he is the king. This fear of God must not drive us away from him. Like it did Adam and Eve when they first sinned. They hid from God. The fear of the Lord drove them away from God. But the fear of God must draw us near to him. Because we have Jesus who has cleansed us from all our sin, all our unrighteousness, we can become children of God. Giving us the closeness to God only a child would have. Tim Keller says, The only person who dares wake up a king at 3 a.m. for a glass of water, is a child. And we have that kind of access. When we fear God, we draw near to him. Not because we are terrified at his ability to smite us, but because we are in awe of his graciousness, awe of his mercy. We're in awe of his goodness His love for us, that he would be willing to die for us so that he could call us his children. The fear of the Lord must draw us near to him. The fourth thing I noticed in Psalm 34 was how much David sought God and just cried out to him in the midst of his troubles. 
Verse 4 says, I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Verse 5, those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. Verse 6, this poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. Verse 8, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Verse 10, the young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Verse 17, when the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. And verse 22, the Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. What does it look like to draw near to God? What does it look like to go to God and get a glass of water at 3 a.m.? Look at verse 10. The young lions suffer want and hunger. So this is a bit strange because the young lions are at the top of the food chain. They're most able to provide for themselves. So it's strange when David says they suffer want and hunger. But David is saying, don't be like the young lions who are self-sufficient. Rely on God and he will provide. So how do we tell if we are self-sufficient or we're reliant on God to provide? I think one question can help us answer that. Are you praying about it? If we're praying about it, there's a good chance we're relying on God about it. But if we're not praying, then we're probably self-sufficient in that situation. Relying on God to provide what we need is a way that we can draw near to God. Let's look at verse 8 and 22. It says, take refuge in God. Well, the literal is to flee from God, to run like refugees from a war-torn country's war-torn country runs to a safe country. We must flee to God. Don't run to temporary shelters in our times of trouble, in our times of suffering. Don't run to alcohol. Don't run to a shopping spree. Don't run to a need for approval. Don't run to pornography. Don't run to temporary shelters. See, in the refuge of God, there is no condemnation. We see that in verse 22. Flee from sin and and God will bring us in. He will not put us to shame. Running to God through his word, through being with community, with his people, is a way that we can draw near to God. Verse 5, those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. Is there someone that you know of in your 
Bible reading that has a radiant face? It's a bit of a strange thing to say. But what does David mean? Those who look to him are radiant. I think he's making a reference to Moses when he went up Mount Sinai and received the Ten Commandments. You can read about that in Exodus 34, 30. And Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant, and they were afraid to come near him. The Apostle Paul then talks about uh, the significance of Moses' radiant face in 2 Corinthians 3. The radiant face of Moses signified the glory of the old covenant. But that glory, that radiant face, that shining face, it faded away. 2 Corinthians 3, 7 to 18, speaks of the glory of the new covenant in comparison to the old covenant. Verse 11, the the old covenant which was temporary, which came with glory. So how much more glory will come in the new covenant in Christ? If the old covenant turned Moses' face glowing, the new covenant by the Holy Spirit must do so much more. It must radiate in a way that doesn't fade. Verse 18 says, and we all, of 2 Corinthians 3 verse 18, and all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So as we become more and more like Christ, we radiate more and more of his glory. We radiate more of God's glory than Moses did at Mount Sinai. Because we have the Holy Spirit that dwells within us. And it's this that gives us the confidence and the boldness to dare wake up a king at 3 a.m., for a glass of water. You and I radiate more of God's glory than Moses did at Mount Sinai. To be transformed to an image more Christ-like by pursuing peace, by turning from evil, that is another way that we can draw near to God. Taste and see that the Lord is good by drawing near him. I always remember the three R's for recycling. I don't know why, I think there was a song that kept playing on TV when I was young. Uh, Reduce, reuse, recycle. Uh, I can't forget those three R's. But every time you guys recycle, I want you to think of the three R's for drawing near to God. Rely on God, run to God, and replicate Jesus. They're the three R's of drawing near to God. So, what is the first one? Repeat after me. Rely on God. Run to God. Replicate Jesus. It was hard to find a third R, so I went with replicate. Um, 
But every time you recycle, every time you put a uh, can of Coke in a recycling bin at Eastland, I hope and pray that you think of the three R's. Um, rely on God, run to God, replicate Jesus, of how we draw near to him and taste and see that the Lord is good. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you are near to us. You are not a far distant God. Jesus, we pray for those in our congregation that are facing times of trouble, facing fears and anxieties, are in dangerous situation and need your protection, or are suffering. Lord, I pray for your deliverance. Lord, we thank you that it is not a matter of if you will, but a matter of when. Help us to trust in you that you will deliver us. Help us to hold on to your comfort. Help us to draw near to you in our pain. Jesus, we are sorry for when we have drifted from you. And we've found ourselves way down the beach. Jesus, bring us back to you. We want to know your closeness. We want to know your presence in our, in our pain and in our suffering. Jesus, give us hope to hold on to you in our challenges of life. Jesus, we thank you that through your Holy Spirit and by what you did on the cross for us, we have more glory we radiate more glory than Moses did at Mount Sinai. Jesus, give us the confidence and the boldness as your children to come to you with anything and everything. Help us to rely on you. Help us to run to you. Help us to be like you, Jesus, and live like you have. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.